We're returning to the book of John here for the first time for all of us together here in this new year of 2023. Obviously, we've been in the book for quite some time now. And you'll remember, just to kind of bring you back up where we're at, we are at the last night of the Lord's life before his crucifixion. The last evening started back up in chapter 13 in the upper room on a Thursday evening of Passion Week. And the Lord gathers his disciples together to celebrate the Passover uh, Christ knows that his time here on the earth has come to an end. The time for him uh, to depart uh, out of this world to the Father is at hand. And it really is a night that's filled with love. If you want, you can look back up there or just listen as I read just portions. Uh, this night filled with love again, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, having loved his own, her in the world, he loved them to the end. All right? He loved them perfectly. He, he, he showed to them the full extent of his love. That's the idea. But then in verse 2, it says, During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. So immediately, you have a contrast. And immediately, in the context of the perfect love of Christ for those who belong to him, you have a display of the wickedness of fallen men and a display of the activity of the devil. You'll then remember the evening continues, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he'd come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. And taking a towel, he girded himself about. And when he poured water into the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with a towel, which with he was girded. And what happens after that practical, tangible demonstration of his love for them is just one promise of blessing after another. Christ just really lavishing upon his disciples the, the blessings of heaven, the promises of heaven, Uh, for those 11 that are with him in the room, and then for all of us who follow afterwards. At the end of chapter uh, 13, uh, uh, the Lord dismisses the betrayer Judas to go and carry out his wicked betrayal. And none of the other disciples at this moment know exactly for what reason uh, Judas has left or been dismissed by the Lord. The Lord gives that wonderful command uh, to the disciples in verse 34 of the chapter. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another and here's the example even as i have loved you that you also love one another he says by this men all by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another so the chapter concludes chapter 14 picks up with again with just blessing after blessing uh, christ again lavishing upon these 11 disciples encouraging their hearts he wants them not to be troubled he wants them not to be troubled he wants them to continue to believe in god and continue to believe in in him in christ So chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15, just promise after promise uh, to the Lord's own, encouraging their hearts with love and the love that he has for them. But then the whole thing changes. Verse 8 of chapter 15, the whole thing changes. And the topic moves from from love to hate. It it moves from the uh, the blessings of the heavens uh, to Christ or from Christ to his disciples to the realities of a world that is hates uh, that is hateful to them, or a reality of a world that shows that hatred towards them. Look at uh, uh, verse 18 of chapter 15. Uh, verse 18, the, the world hates you. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for the sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If, he, if, I, had not, if I had not done Among them, the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They will hate me without cause. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness of me and you will bear witness also because you have been with me from the beginning." Then chapter 16, verse 1, our text for this morning. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcast in the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me, and so on. Now remember that chapter divisions aren't in the original. They're not in the original part of the uh, text of uh, Scripture. They've been added to help us. 
And honestly, the chapter division between 15 and 16 is probably not in the best place uh, to have a chapter inserted. Probably verse 12 in chapter 16 would have been a more suitable spot for the break. But nevertheless, it's here. And all, all, that, all that to say that the Lord is just continuing on with the same thing he's been talking about, right? He's continuing on with the, the subject that he'd been speaking to them previously about, the issue of hatred. Again, the whole thing's changed from love to hatred. And it's the hatred that the world has uh, against God the Father. It's the hatred the world has against the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the hatred that the world has against the followers of Christ. Now again, these men were up in the, they were in the upper room. They've left the upper room. They're on their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they walk through the city. They're headed over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And again, the subject of the evening has changed from heavenly love to earthly hatred. The fact is, God loves his people. And God lavishes his kindness and his promises upon them. And he blesses them with every blessing there is in the heavenlies. But at the same time, the reality is the world hates God and the world hates Christ. The world hates the followers of God and Christ. Again, Christ in his love and his kindness is telling them this reality. He was Arthur Pink who called the whole thing, it's a remarkable prophecy is the word he used. He wants them, Christ wants them to know the future. He wants them to know what's going to happen. Uh, again, verse 2, they will make you outcast from the synagogue, an hour is coming where everyone who kills you to, to think that he is offering service to God. He wants them to know excommunication and death is coming. He wants them to know there's going to be a high cost to follow him, a high cost to follow Christ, because there's a vast distinction between those in the world and those who follow the Savior. A vast distinction. Again, a vast distinction between the followers of Christ and the world. Again, look back up chapter 15, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a slave's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. Now, you might remember I told you when we went through this text, the word world there is not uh, the physical earth. It's not the physical earth. Uh, the idea behind the word world, it's the world system that is under the control of Satan, under the control of Satan and his demons. It's the world system that is in opposition and rebellion to God. It is the fallen world system that is compromised of all unregenerate people. It's the world of twisted values and unrighteous ambitions and evil ideologies and practices. It's all of the anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Scripture thinking that sets itself again in opposition to God and to God's kingdom and again sets itself in opposition to Christ. In fact, 1 John 5 verse 19 says this, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Three times in the Gospel of John, Satan or the devil is called the ruler of this world. John 12, 31, John 14, verse 30, and then John 16, 11. So who runs this world? Another question, who runs this country? Who runs this world? Who runs this country? The answer is the same. It's Satan. Satan runs this country and every other country in the world. Satan runs this country and every other nation in the world, every other kingdom. Satan is the ruler of this world. Remember back in Luke chapter 4, uh, the Lord has been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and there he is being tempted by Satan. Luke 4 verse 5 says, He, Satan, led him, Christ, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain in its glory. Well, that's pretty bold talk. What makes the devil so confident that he has the power and the ability to do as is just proclaimed? Well, because verse 5 goes on. The devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. Here it is. For it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, you worship. if you worship before me, I shall give it to you, or it shall be yours. Again, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Why is that? Why is the world as it is? Because the world is as it is, because the devil is in charge of it. The world is as it is, the devil is in charge of it, and this whole world system has been given over to him by the sovereign God. 
It has been handed over to me, and I give to it whomever I wish. God in his sovereignty has given this world and this system over to the devil for God's purposes according to God's plans. But as somebody has said, I might have been Luther, I don't remember, he says the devil is God's devil. It's been handed over to him, but only within the means of confines that God's will dictates. It only, he only operates this within the confines of the will of God. Uh, the devil runs this world and this world system, and we need to understand that. We need to recognize as believers that reality. Why is the whole world in absolute chaos and confusion? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's the answer to what you see <clears throat> excuse me, all around you on a daily basis. The world is a deadly, deceptive, dangerous place. And it's not just like the unbelieving world thinks. It's not just the unbeliever is going to face the devil in eternal hell if he doesn't repent. No, the reality is that unbelievers in this world are under his power right now. Uh, unbelievers are under the power of the devil right now in this life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. The devil is called the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. He rules them. He he rules this world. He rules the sons of disobedience according to the course of the world, according to the way things are going. It's exactly the way the devil wants it to go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says of him, starting in verse 3, he says, Even for a gospel it's veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, He has blinded the eyes of those who are perishing so they can't see the glory of God, the glory of Christ. And what is he like? What is the devil like? What is Satan like? Well, you might remember in John chapter 8, verse 44, the Lord described him like this. He said, Satan, he was a murderer from the beginning and doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies. Why is the world like it is? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Therefore, no amount of evil, no amount of lies, no amount of murder should surprise any of us. Because Satan has authority over this world. He rules the kingdoms of this world. And not only that, that means he rules the rulers. Right? He controls the rulers. He controls all the people who are outside of God's kingdom. All those who are dead in trespasses and sin. He is the ruler. All those who are called in the Bible the children of the devil, he rules over them. Now, most of the time, Satan tries to stay hidden below the surface. He's happy to work in secret. And he loves to distinguish himself or disguise himself as an angel of light. But again, he's the ultimate deceiver. He's the ultimate liar. He's the ultimate murderer. But as the culture grows more and more corrupt and more and more blatant in its overt rebellion against God, Satan doesn't have to hide as much. He comes out right in the open and does his activity right in the open for everyone to see as he's doing right now presently in our country. We have a country that's full of quote-unquote leaders that do nothing but promote Satan's agenda all across the board. They promote his agenda of murder. They promote his uh, um, agenda of deception. They promote, without blush, without apology, they promote the murder of unborn children. Promoted for, argued for, advocated for. I don't know if you saw the news this last week, but 210 members of our Congress voted against the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act which would require appropriate medical care for babies who survive abortion. And the people who, the 210 members of the Congress that voted against it, said, we are opposed to this because if we support it, this might harm babies. Now, obviously, it makes no sense. We got that. Because that's the depraved mind working. Children who survive abortion, we're not going to give them any medical care because that might be harmful to the babies we tried to murder that we weren't able to murder. (laughs) To 
depraved minds that don't work properly, empowered by demonic ideas, demons, demonic destruction. You're familiar also in this country, there's been a couple summers of anarchy. Anarchy everywhere in the streets, encouraged, promoted, defended again by the so-called leaders of the country. We're in the throes of the constant rebellion against parents promoted by the government through the open, open sexualization and abuse and mutilation of our children. Again, it's all going on right out in the open. We want you to accept perversion. We want you to say that perversion is normal. I don't know if you follow this, but right now there are many school districts that are promoting all the way down to the elementary school level after-school Satan clubs. Believe it or not, satanic worship might be the first government-backed religion in this country because our quote-unquote leaders are promoting it. Ours is a country full of perversion and death and demons and devil. The devil and fascinated with all those things. And as believers, we just need to recognize that reality. We just need to understand the reality of the world in which we live. And we need to understand that that this is the reason why there's such chaos and confusion and wickedness and evil and perversion and lies everywhere across the board because this culture, this whole world, lies in the power of the evil one. And men are blinded to the glory of the gospel and the glory of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the children of the devil. They are the sons of disobedience, again, under the power of the prince of the air, cut off from God, cut off from truth, cut off from life, from true life. That's why we as believers are warned in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful, boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. I spoke to you last week. If you weren't here, you should listen to the sermon. I spoke last week about the need for us to focus more on the person of Jesus Christ this upcoming year. And if you're going to focus on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ more this coming year, you might want to stop and consider how much of the world you're consuming. How much of the world you're consuming. How much of the system of evil and lies you're letting in. comes to us through all the various forms of media, social media, internet, television, movies, etc. and so forth. This last week, I heard a statistic, and I actually checked it again this morning just to make sure it was correct. It says the average individual watches at least four and a half hours of television every day in this country. Four and a half hours of television every day in this country. Number one, that's a whole lot of wasted time. And number two, that's a whole lot of worldly propaganda to get pumped into your mind from a world, again, that is in rebellion against God and rebellion against Christ, that promotes lies always. Promotes the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All of these things are built into this worldly system. And again, as believers, we need to be careful what we let into our minds. We need to be guarding our minds from error, not bringing it in openly through the front door. Paul told the Philippians, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellence, if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, Philippians 4. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your soul with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We as believers need to be careful what we allow into our minds. And not only are we to be careful about what we let into our minds, we are as believers called again not to love the world or anything of the world. This temporal world that is passing away, that's under the power of Satan himself, that is set up for judgment, we're also called to resist the devil. Ephesians 6.13, Therefore take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand, to be able to resist in the day of evil, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit, and with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. You can't resist the devil. You can't stand firm 
against his evil schemes of lie and perversion if you are cultivating in your heart pride, if you're cultivating in your heart lust of the eyes, the greed or personal ambition or selfishness. You, you can't resist the devil if you're watching pornography. If you're cultivating those things in your own heart, in your own life, in your own mind that are in direct opposition to God and his truth and his purposes. James 4 and 7 says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. James 4 1 says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have because you commit murder, and you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to make himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James 1, verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. When the lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. It has been suggested that perhaps one of the reasons the Puritans wrote so much, you know, the Puritans were prolific writers, is because they didn't fill their minds with the things of the world, right? They obviously didn't fill their minds with social media, television or the Internet. Those things weren't, weren't around. They didn't exist at that point. But the point of that statement is that they used their time wisely. And because they used their time wisely and weren't invested in the world, they had more time to think and more time to think deeply on God and the issues of God. As I told you last week, again, there's not many modern books written like The Christian's Love for the Unseen Christ, as Thomas Vincent wrote. Because we don't think deeply. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And as believers, we're called to recognize that reality. As believers, we're called to resist the devil and his lies. As believers, we're called to stand firm and not to fall in love with this evil world system that, again, is passing away and under God's judgment. Because, again, we're not part of it. Look again, 15, verse 19. John 15, verse 19. If you were of the world... The world would love its own, but you're not of the world because I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Ek legomai, I chose you. I, I picked you out. I chose you. It's in the middle voice, so that means I chose you. God's saying, I chose you for myself. You're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world for me. God speaking. That's the, that's the, the issue of, of election. The world hates the followers of Christ. The world hates believers because they have been elected by God, chosen by God for his purposes. They belong to him. And God in his kindness, his mercy, his love, his, his infinite grace has taken you, if you're a believer, out of this world. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed that you would go and bear fruit. Ephesians 1.4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. And again, very simply, the world hates those who are not part of it. The world rejects those who are not a part of it. As believers, we are in the world, but not of the world. As believers, we're in the world, not of the world. We've been taken out of this evil system. Therefore, we're called not to partake in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Ephesians 5.11. Colossians 1.13. For he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We, by God's grace, have been chosen out of this world system as a mercy. Therefore, we are to flee from all that is unrighteous. And we're to flee from all that is unrighteous, and we're to flee to the righteous one, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John 4 and 4 says, We are to flee to Christ, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
Now that's all background just to set up to begin to look at verse 1. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling. Again, these things refer back to everything that he's just said, everything that he's just warned about the world's coming hostility, about the, also about the coming of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you, that you may be kept from stumbling or from falling away, it says in the ESV, or that you should not be offended, the authorized version. Scandalizo is the word stumbling. Scandalized, we would get in the English. It means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way that someone may trip or fall over. The word actually is related to a bait, uh, to a, a bait stick in a trap, uh, and it's used by Jesus to refer figuratively with his disciples that he doesn't want them to be caught off guard, ensnared like uh, an animal would be ensnared in a trap. Go in, trip the trap. The stick falls down, and you're trapped there in that in that. Uh, in that trap. And Jesus doesn't want them to be caught off guard like an animal and snared in a trap. Because if Jesus had not warned them about the persecution that would inevitably come, the disciples might become shocked, they might become disillusioned, therefore their faith might have faltered. Arthur Pink says this, he says, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. Christ would prepare his people beforehand by telling them plainly what they might expect. Instead of contending among themselves which would be the greatest, he bids them to prepare to drink the cup he drank, be baptized with the baptism wherewith he was baptized. It was not that he would discourage them far from it. He would fortify them against what lie ahead, against how, uh, again, how evidenced is the tender mercy of their master, how it demonstrates once more that he loved them to the end. How gracious of the Lord to warn us as we would stumble if we, he had not told us beforehand what to expect. So again, he tells them because he wants them to know the truth. These things I have spoken to you that you may not be kept, or that you may be kept from stumbling. Again, it's the Lord saying, I'm saying these things to you so that you're not caught in a trap. You're not caught unaware. I'm telling you in advance what's going to happen. Follow me is going to be difficult. Follow me is going to be hard. It's going to be painful. If you really want to follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross. Just like I told you earlier. But the sad reality is that very evening they would indeed stumble. They would be offended. As the evening comes to pass, the Lord is going to be arrested. He's going to be falsely tried then murdered. And the disciples are going to be put to flight. Matthew 26, verse 31, then... Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I shall strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And just in a few more moments, just a little bit further in the evening, the prediction comes true. Matthew 26, verse 55, at that time, Jesus said to the multitudes, the ones who come to arrest him in the garden, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you and you did not seize me. But this is all taking place that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then his disciples left him and fled. Jesus warned them. He told them what was going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. The moment the disciples faced hostility, they fled. But the Lord in his omniscience knew that. He knew it was going to happen. He knew what their reaction would be. Now again, they had confidence in him the best they could that he was Jesus was the Messiah. They thought he had come at this very moment uh, to establish his earthly kingdom and to free them from their Roman occupation. And again, they were arguing with themselves or amongst themselves about who'd be the greatest in the kingdom and who would sit on the right hand and who'd sit on the left hand when he ascended to his throne. They had high expectations. But they didn't realize that before the crown must come the cross. They didn't realize that before Jesus sets up his earthly kingdom, and Scripture says he will do that someday, he first had to come into the world to suffer and die, to be the substitute, to be the sin bearer. If you remember the story, and especially the interaction of the other Gospels, when the Lord started to talk to his disciples about his death, his betrayal, the fact that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to be mistreated, beaten, sped upon, uh, crucified, uh, the disciples didn't have a category for that. 
All, all of that kind of talk frightened them, so they didn't listen. They, they did their best to ignore it. But again, the Lord here in this evening, as he's gone through uh, Jerusalem to the garden of, on to his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, his kindness, he wants them to know what's going to happen in advance. So that again, when it comes, they're not going to be caught off guard. That he, when it comes, they're going to know that he is exactly who they thought he is. He's exactly who he claimed to be. He's God come in the flesh, omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the future. And when persecution breaks out against the followers of Christ, he wants them to know this is exactly what he told them would happen. He wants them to know that with the specifics so that they would remember. And especially when the Holy Spirit comes and helps them to remember. So the Lord continues to warn of the persecution that is imminent that will come for them because of their association with Christ. Verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. They'll make you outcasts from the synagogue. Now, to be put out of the synagogue, we don't understand that. This is much more than church discipline. To be put out of the synagogue was a, a major issue. Because everything in the culture surrounded the synagogue. So to be put out or to be excommunicated from the place of public worship meant that you were cut off from the privileges of being a part of your own people. It meant separation across the board. To be put out of the synagogue meant that you were an outcast. You you were seen as a lasting disgrace. You were seen as a perpetual danger. You were seen as a spiritual leper reduced to begging. Because if you're put out of the synagogue, you lost your job. You lost your family, you lost your relatives, you lost your friends. Again, you're completely cut off. Cut off from all social, all religious, all economic aspects of Jewish society. Again, branded as a traitor to the people and to God. So again, in first century Judaism, if you were thrown out of the synagogue, in essence, you were thrown out of the nation. Because there's no, at that time, no uh, separation between uh, secular and sacred. Therefore, to be thrown out of the synagogue was something that was greatly feared. Remember the story back in John chapter 9 of the man who was born blind and uh, um, Christ heals them and uh, the uh, Pharisees, religious leaders, go to the parents and say, who did this? And they answered very carefully because they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue because the Pharisees had already said, if anybody says that Jesus is the Christ, you're going to be desynagogued, you're going to be kicked out. It was greatly feared. And the truth is, that's the price that many had to pay who followed Christ. That was the cost to follow him. And that was the cost that many willingly paid to follow him. But not only that, verse 2, can says, verse two continues, says, they'll make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. So again, the Lord says, you're not only going to be excommunicated, but some of you are going to be murdered. Some of you are going to be killed. I love you, but the world's going to hate you to the point of murdering you. An hour is coming for everyone who kills you. Uh, Again, we worked a little bit through this similar kind of material back in uh, chapter 15, and I showed you that the followers of Christ have always faced the world's hostility, right? began with the apostles. All the apostles were either ridiculed, scorned, denounced, hunted, arrested, beaten, imprisoned, or all of the above, And with the exception of John, who dies as an old man on Patmos, all were martyred. But again, verse 18 out of chapter 15, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. Remember the word that I said to you, The slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Again, implied, listen, you can count on it. You can count on it. And you need to expect it. And you need to prepare for it. They're going to hate you because you're not of the world. They're going to hate you because now you belong to Christ. They're going to hate you because they hated me, Christ. They're going to hate you because you represent and you proclaim my truth in this world. They're going to hate you because you proclaim my name. Because you represent me in this world that hates me. And again, in our previous studies of the same material... 
we worked our way through the New Testament. You might remember that. We worked right through the New Testament. I just showed you how the persecution against Christ and his followers broke out in the early New Testament church, and that persecution has followed ever since. From the beginning of the church, Christians have been persecuted. Literally millions upon hundreds of millions of people, believers, persecuted, many martyred for their faith in Christ. And a lot of the persecution by the world against the true followers of Christ comes from those who are quote-unquote religious. Again, look at verse 2. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that they are offering service to God. It's religious people who make the followers of Christ outcasts from the synagogue. It's religious people who murder Christ's followers to think they are offering service to God. I mean, how twisted and perverted is that kind of thinking? How satanically darkened is the mind that thinks murdering somebody is worshiping or serving God? But you see that even in our day. You see that all around the world. You see it especially in Islam, which is the current great persecutor of the Christians uh, around the world. Because Satan himself, listen, Satan himself is religious. He distinguishes himself as an angel, or he likes to disguise himself as an angel of light. He works in false religions and false religious systems. Historically, after the uh, early New Testament church, you see this kind of persecution from the Roman Catholic Church uh, against Protestant believers. Faithful men and women who took their stand against the moral and doctrinal corruption uh, of the Roman Catholic Church, and they took their stand with Christ, and they took their stand with the clear teaching of the Scripture, and they denounced the Roman Catholic system of indulgences. They denounced the Roman Catholic system of works righteousness, and they suffered great persecution. This last week, I picked up a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs, and I reread through some of it. If you do not have that book, you need to have that book. Fox's Book of Martyrs. And you need to pick it up and look at it every once in a while. You need to open it up and read some of the stories of faithful brothers and sisters that have gone before us and suffered for the sake of remaining faithful to the person of Jesus Christ. And some of the stories are actually absolutely beyond the pale of comprehension. Things people endured. Absolutely demonic, satanic cruelty that the Roman Catholic Church perpetuated against believers in Christ. Unspeakable wickedness. I actually picked it up this week, the copy I had, and I picked it up and started reading about Bartholomew's Day, the Bartholomew Day Massacre happened in August 1572 in Paris. I'm telling you the brutality, the horror, the cruelty, the slaughter, the cold-blooded murder of men, women, and children. The, the stories are so horrific, and the things that these people did to these brothers and sisters in Christ are, are so evil, I can't repeat it. things that quote-unquote religious people did to men, women, and children. But you need to know that. You need to understand historically what has happened in the past so you can prepare your heart for what may come our way in the future. Because if you're a true follower of Christ, you'd better prepare your heart to stand firm and realize that persecution will come. Why? Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. The slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And when persecution comes, and whenever it comes, we shouldn't be surprised by it or caught off guard by it. Matthew 10, verse 22, you'll be hated on all, by all on account of my name, Christ says. Philippians 1, 29, Paul, for you, for you it has been granted... For Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Second Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Peter, 1 Peter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal among you, which comes uh, upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of the glory of God rests upon you. Satan hates Christ. 
And this present evil world system is energized by him. Therefore, this present world system hates Christ and it hates us who follow Christ. And what persecution does, it always roots out the professors from the true possessors. It roots out the professors from the true possessors of genuine faith because persecution always leads to the purity of the church. Counterfeit Christians who just profess faith in Christ without any real loyalty or allegiance to him will not endure suffering. They will not endure persecution. They will recant their faith in Christ in order to avoid the pain. I'm telling you, pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs, dive in on Bartholomew's Day Massacre, and not only will you be shocked by the evil, but you'll be amazed by the love of for Christ that faithful men and women before us and the suffering they endured and refused to recant. Refused. Now again, I say this all the time, it's not like we should be looking for persecution or martyrdom. It's going to happen in a fallen world, right? But when it does come, Christ says, Matthew 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The heavenly perspective on suffering when it comes, uh, when you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, again, is the unbelieving world is letting you know without a shadow of doubt you belong to Christ. The unbelieving world, when they persecute for the sake of righteousness, they're letting you know that not only you belong to Christ, but you're a part of Christ's kingdom. They're letting you know that you're saved eternally. Therefore, that means that nothing or no one can ever separate you from the, the love of Christ because the world doesn't persecute pretenders. Again, somebody said it, I'm not sure who it was, it says wolves aren't interested in painted sheep, right? Wolves aren't interested in painted sheep. And the world doesn't persecute pretenders. So the Bible and Christ says you're eternally blessed when those persecute you for the sake of righteousness and you need to be happy and see it from a heavenly perspective because what it's saying is you've lived your life in a fallen world enough like the Savior that the people in the world actually take notice of you. Because you stand in stark contrast to their perversion, to their satanic way of living. They'll make you outcast from the synagogue. An hour is coming for everyone who kills you thinks he's offering a service to God. Arthur Pink says, out of the catalog of sufferings which the disciples should be subjected, the Lord selects for mention two samples of the rest. An extreme torture of the mind and the final infliction upon the body. It is indeed solemn to observe that the persecution of Christ's people comes from a quote-unquote religious world. The first fulfillment of this prophecy was from the Jews who professed to be the people of God, but Christ identifies them with the world. Their sharings and displaying of its spirit showed plainly where they belonged. And the same is true today, he says. Where profession is not real, even those who bear the name of Christ are part of the world. They are the first to persecute those who do not follow Christ. Or they're, I'm sorry, they are the first to persecute those who do follow Christ. When the walk of the Christian condemns that of the worldly professors, when faithfulness to his Lord prevents him from doing many things in which the world does, when obedience to the word obliges him to do many things which the world dislikes, then enmity is at once aroused and persecution follows. Persecution just as bitter and real today as it was in those days, the form, although the form has changed. Again, he's saying, look, persecution's come, going to come, and you know this because you're around people who say they're followers of Christ, they're religious, and you take a stand for Christ, and they say, what's wrong with you? You're not really serious about that nonsense, are you? Why don't you come and do, you, you didn't get crazy, like you're not like, like a Bible thumper, are you? And those people who make the name of Christ, they start looking at your life when you don't live like they do and do the things they do, and they go, there's something wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with you. You just want to honor the Lord. There's something wrong with them because they're false professors and they won't stand in the time of the trouble. Verse 3 says, These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. So ultimately, the world hates Christ and Christ's followers because they don't know God. And I told you previously, one of the greatest impediments to coming to a true knowledge of a true truth, right? one of the greatest impediments of coming to the knowledge of the truth is religion. Because, again, Satan, who's the ruler of this world system, he uses religion. 
And he uses religion to stand in the way as a hindrance to the knowledge of true, the true God. It's true with the Jews. They were religious. It's true with the Romans. They were religious in a sense that they worshipped the pantheon of gods. They, they didn't like the Christians because they just worshipped one God. They thought, what's wrong with these people? It's true of Roman Catholics. In the Roman Catholic system through all history, they're religious. It's true of Islam. They're religious. And Islam violently persecutes, openly opposes Christians all around the world, and religious persecution is on the rise. These things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. Again, religious people who do not know the true God or Christ are under the control of Satan himself. Christ said it, and I read it earlier, John 15, verse 23, He who hates me hates my Father also. So again, Jesus is loving these men. He's telling them the truth. This is the way things are going to be. This is the reality. Persecution is coming. And persecution of Christianity comes often from religious people and religious systems. Because, in all the, because again, all the religious systems of the world, except for biblical Christianity, are from the world and they're under the satanic control. And what every false religious system does, it creates their own deity. Creates, creates their own false god. And again, that's Satan. He likes to masquerade again as an angel of light. He likes to promote doctrines of demons. And these followers of these worldly religious systems persecute Christians because, again, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving that they can't see the glory of Christ. Satan blinds the minds of the unbelieving to think that murdering people is a means of serving God. That was actually the way it was for the Apostle Paul before his conversion. Saul of Tarsus, Tarsus, Pharisee amongst all Pharisees, right? He's a pretty religious guy. As a Pharisee, he was a zealous persecutor of Christians. And after he met the risen Christ, after his conversion, after uh, being and getting a little bit of a trouble and being rescued by the Roman soldiers outside the temple, he tells this mob that are trying to kill him, he says in Acts 22, verse 4, he said, I persecuted this way, meaning the Christians, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. In his defense before Herod Agrippa, Acts chapter 26, Paul elaborates on that statement. He says, Acts 26, verse 9, So then I thought myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in the synagogue, I tried to force them to blaspheme, being furiously enraged at them. I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. To the Galatians, he said this of his past, Galatians 1.13. He said, you've heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and that I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my, con- my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. Religious people, apart from the truth, hate Christ. Religious people, apart from the truth, hate Christ's people. They're hostile, hostile to Christ, hostile to Christ's people, hostile to the gospel, because they're held captive by Satan to do his will. So again, out of his kindness, Jesus is warning them. He's warning them what's going to happen. And he's warning us. If you are a follower of Christ, you call yourself a Christian, and you want to follow Christ, then you need to be prepared. You can see the storm clouds gathering. You need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Follow the one the world murdered. Because these things I have spoken to you that you may not be kept from, or that you may be kept from stumbling. They'll make you outcasts in the synagogue, and hour is coming when everyone who kills you thinks he's offering a service to God. These things they do because they've not known the Father or me. Again, people who don't know either the Father or Christ, listen, they do so by their own volition. People who don't know God, people who don't know Christ, do so by their own volition. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, they do what with the truth? Suppress it. 
they hold it down. They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Failure to know God, failure to know Christ, failure to know the truth is willful. It's inexcusable, willful ignorance. It demonstrates a heart of rebellion against God, against Christ, and it demonstrates the active work of Satan in the mind of the unbeliever that, again, has blinded them to the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. Verse 4 says, These things I have spoken to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. These things I've spoken when the hour comes, when this arrives, that you may remember, I told you. Again, he wants them to know he's omniscient God. He doesn't want them to doubt. He knows what's going to happen in the future. And he wants them to deepen in their assurance of everything he says in spite of the persecution that's coming. He, He wants them to increase in their trust of him, his promises to them. All the evil that he says is going to happen is going to indeed come to pass, but that also means all the good things that he says is going to happen are also going to happen. Because he's promised that. He's dependable in all he says. When he says, these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, he's just saying, look, I didn't tell you the full extent of the persecution that's coming right up front because your hearts couldn't handle it. Your hearts would have failed you. You start out as spiritual babes right you, you need to grow strong you, you need milk you're not ready for the meat and in the beginning i was there with you in the beginning i'm the one who bore uh, who's the one who's going to bear all the brunt of the persecution right during his earthly ministry that's exactly what happened it was the religious leaders that always attacked him and christ protected the disciples he took the full impact of the world's hatred in the beginning jesus was their shield but he's going to do what he's going to leave he's going to depart And these men are going to have to learn to stand up under the force of opposition that they're going to face in his absence. And we need to stand up as men under the face of the opposition if we represent Christ in this world. Because Christ just told things as they were. He never soft-pedaled anything, never soft-sold anything. He said, look, from the beginning, it's going to be a high cost to follow me. If anybody wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who'll save it. Christ doesn't offer his followers comfort or ease. What Christ offers his followers in this fallen world is a difficult journey, a hard path, a, a, a small gate, a narrow way. But it's the only way that leads to life. Therefore, Paul would write it in the midst of the multitude of trials in his own life for representing Christ. For momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. So if you want to be a faithful follower of Christ, you should expect conflict. Because Satan is the ruler of this world. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But take your eyes and drop down to chapter 16, verse 33 of chapter 16. Christ says, chapter 16, verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Amen?